52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective, and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the HealthAbility Project. Welcome to a special edition of the HealthAbility Project. I'm Robin McKenna. I've dedicated all five of this month's episodes to topics on women's health. We've discussed topics such as maternal nutrition, women's health equity, cervical cancer, and menopause. May is also Mental Health Month, another very important women's health topic. Here to talk with me today about mental health is my guest, Dr. Randy Wirth. Dr. Wirth is a training and supervising psychoanalyst and a fellow of the International Psychoanalytical Association, where she serves on the board of directors. She has taught and lectured both here and internationally. Dr. Wirth is in private practice in New York City, working with adolescents, adults, and couples. She has consulted on group dynamics and conflict resolution in schools and organizations, and has a special interest in ADHD, executive functioning in children and adults, as well as psychosomatic disorders. She has over four decades of experience in the field of eating disorders, having served as chief psychologist at the Renfrew Center and as executive director of the American Anorexia and Bulimia Association. Thanks so much for being with me today, Dr. Worth. I'm so glad to have you, and I'm so thrilled to be able to talk about this topic today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Robin. Thank you. So, Dr. Worth, when we hear the words mental health, I think most of us immediately think about somebody struggling or the imbalance of mental health. What exactly is healthy mental health? I think that's a very good question. I actually think about that all the time. And in a simple way, I think it's knowing ourselves and knowing our minds and having a a healthy way of understanding how our minds work and a healthy relationship between our minds and our bodies. Being in sync, having those two things uh, in sync with each other. And when they're not, I think about, you know, how does that get in the way? Uh, And that's often what brings people into my office or my colleague's office when um, things aren't working and either symptoms appear that get in the way of having a healthy life more long term. I'm not saying, you know, You know, if you're healthy, you can manage and tolerate different feelings that come up once in a while. But when it's, you know, something that's getting in the way of having uh, a life that you can tolerate, you know, ups and downs and external stressors, then uh, you handle those things very well on your own. But when they don't and you have repetitive patterns that either from your past or things that you know, appear later in your life, that's when I think mental health is something that your mental health is 
uh, getting in the way of your having the opportunities for pleasure and you know dedication to your your profession your the work that you've chosen your family and yourself mm -hmm. so it's not it's not only about being happy it's about being able to manage the rough spots that come up and then also as you said being in tune with yourself and if there's something more long term or deeper maybe working with somebody on how to manage that, the trigger points perhaps, or just having somebody to talk to when you're in when you're in a tough situation? Well, I look at it in a very deep way. You know, I I know it's a very simple statement, but many years ago, Sigmund Freud, who is the father of psychoanalysis, uh, at a famous response to the question regarding what is the core of psychological health and a meaningful life. And he, his response was love and work and work and love being the cornerstone of our humanness. And, you know, in many ways, I, I believe in that work is not just what profession you go into or, you know, what job you have, but, you know, what are you doing here uh, on earth? What is important to you? What do you dedicate uh, your life to outside of yourself? What gives meaning to you? And I think that's important for everyone, um, no matter what age you are. And if you don't have something that gives meaning, some sort of work in your life, then you have a hole or too many holes in your life and you need you need to find something that is important to you other than yourself. Mm -hmm. And of course, love, that means different things for different people. It's not always a traditional love relationship, a marriage, um, you know, uh, a boyfriend, girlfriend kind of thing. It, it can mean, you know, uh, a kind an intimacy of your choice. Uh, I, I'm not traditional that one thing uh, does it for everyone, but feeling of closeness and um, comfort with people, people that you trust, that you respect, and that is reciprocal, that people mm -hmm. feel that way towards you and you have support in your life. Some people call it a community. Uh, for others, it may be one good person that you go to when you need to talk. So I think it's you know, different things for different people, but that you know what it's like uh, inside that uh, you have that kind of intimacy and people to go to uh, or a person to go to and you're not alone. Mm -hmm. What have you seen over the course of your career? You, you've you've been in this field for 40 plus years and I would think well, there's maybe <laughs> 39. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 38, um, <laughs> I, start, I started early. <laughs> what have you seen as far as the evolution of how mental health is addressed, how people are addressing it with themselves? Clearly, this isn't really the right way to say it, but mental health is having its time, right? It is no longer taboo. It is no longer uh, a bad thing to say, yeah, I see a therapist or I have a therapist or my therapist said this. Um, but there was a point in time not too long ago where societally we didn't talk about this. We didn't talk about our pains, our darknesses, if you will. 
What have you seen over the course of your career and how that's come to where it is now? I would like to say that we were free to say, be open about that. And um, men and women would be comfortable saying, oh, you know, uh, I just started therapy, short-term, long-term. But actually, I don't think we've gotten to where I'd like it to be, um, that there isn't a stigma still attached to it. My education and my first analytic institute was in a major city. I grew up in Philadelphia and then I moved to New York about 37 years ago. And one of the first things that happened was a patient said to me, oh yeah, I, everyone in my office knows I'm going to my shrink at you know, noon. And I, I couldn't believe it that it's in New York, it's so different. In Philly, you, you would never, you know, say that. And isn't that wonderful? And New York is, you know, a different kind of place. So over the years, I think actually I have found that more people discuss it with friends and even coworkers. You know, uh, everyone knows that, you know, uh, Fridays at, you know, 12 o'clock, I'm at my shrinks. But I think in general, um, I'm on different uh, boards and uh, know people, you know, nationally and now internationally. And I think it it's different in different places that there's still some shame attached to going to therapy. There are people who don't tell their family members that they would uh, still feel that it means they're sick. Uh, they have a problem that they don't feel comfortable with it, that people around them uh, would judge them. So I don't think we're where I'd like it to be, that it's considered something that you go because a therapeutic therapy relationship should be different than talking to mom, dad, a sister, mm -hmm. good friend. And the reason is that people who love you have an investment in you and it does affect the way they listen. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I, people who are lucky enough to have good people in their life, I encourage that. I never am competition with that, but I, the therapeutic relationship should be different. If you have that, I should be able to listen in a professional way that is different than any other relationship because of my training mm -hmm. and it should have a beginning, middle and end, uh, you know, because they're there for a different reason. And it's not to give them advice. It's to be able to listen and help them listen to what their words are saying, what to get them to a level of understanding their minds in a way that they haven't understood before. Mm -hmm. And um, that comes from talking. It's that simple. You know, um, come to your session and say what's on your mind. And you can't do that unless a, a kind of trust in the professional and the right match with that professional um, occurs. And that allows someone to go deeper um, in ways that they often didn't ever expect to be able to do. And that's what makes, I think, talk therapy with the right person um, be a different kind of relationship and help someone go, you know, um, further uh, in understanding some of the conflicts that they had 
some that started it earlier and early in their life and maybe others that were more recent that get in their way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, you know, like you said earlier, you're trained to ask certain questions, treat the conversation a certain way. It's also a bias free zone and a judgment free zone, which you're not going to get from your best friend or your mother or your sister or your brother or your father. Right. Exactly. And what nerve it would be for me to say, you know, I don't like the way this boyfriend, you know, sounds. He's not, you know, uh, he's not right for you. I haven't met him. And who am I to tell someone that, you know, he's not a good match for you, which I'm sure friends and parents who may be right. But my job would be to try to find out what the client feels. Why is this a pattern that she, uh, you know, has had with other in other relationships and why and understand it for herself? Um, Why is she in a pattern that she picks people who somehow, you know, uh, she's repeating something that is not allowing her to be happy to, you know, uh, get to where she wants to go for a, a life that is allows her to experience, you know, the full range of emotions and be herself, be honest and trust someone um, and be trusted. So, you know, it's it's that kind of depth without my, you know, even if I was to feel nervous or anxious inside, it would be, you know, and hope that maybe she wouldn't end up with this fella, you know, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be for me to tell her, it would be for me to explore why I feel that way and keep it inside and and help her get to her own exploration of why she feels the way she does um, over time, Uh, you know, not be invested in the ultimate choice, but to also open up about how she got there and other things for someone who comes in because they're stressed out about a job. The beauty part of talk therapy is allowing someone to to move around in in their mind and think, allow other things to come up, things that they may not have expected. And as I said, you know, have the freedom to do so and discover things about themselves, their background um, that you know, they may never have considered. I'll give you an example. In in some families that were loving and caring and supportive, uh, it's almost taboo to say anything negative about the family and to air their dirty laundry. So sometimes it's just a relief to be to have something quote pop out, you know, and for the first time and and feel like. Well, maybe it's not so dangerous to be able to, Hmm. you know, say something that, you know, felt like it was aggressive and 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 feel like that's okay. that it doesn't mean you hate your sister or, you know, Mm -hmm. the rivalry is something that is naughty and you shouldn't have it. But that emotions, you know, um, are part of the human experience and they don't have to be dangerous. and. They don't have to lead to um, conflict is part of the human experience. And if you can talk about them and understand them better, there are actually ways 
to manage them inside for yourself and sometimes even talk about it with the person in a way that it can lead to a deeper relationship. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's a great example. Thank you. Have you seen over the course of time, is there anything different these days as to what the challenges are to balanced mental health versus 10 years ago, 20 years ago, social media, you know, I think of women in particular, obviously, because we're the caretakers, right? You know, we have children, we raise, help raise those children, but we're also the caretaker to parents or aunts and uncles, elderly aunts and uncles. So there's a lot riding on us on top of career and managing a home, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily changed over the course of time, but maybe it's just become magnified. What have you seen? Pandemic, maybe? Well, I certainly would start most recently with the effect of the pandemic. Um, and the ex I, I usually start from within and go back uh, and try to understand that. But I really was blown away by the effect of the pandemic and the politics uh, that we all went through in, you know, since 2020 and the effect of regulations on us in a country that is not used to that and uh, being exposed to um, things in our government that were very aggressive and, um, you know, felt very different than I think ever before. I think the isolation that we had to go through has had a major effect on people. I think people got used to working from home and many people closed their offices, even clinicians that colleagues and are having trouble when their companies or bosses are asking them to come back. That's fascinating to me. It's almost as though it's easier. They don't want to take the subway or, you know, why should I spend money on that or or cabs? Um, I, I think that we're going to see a lot of issues coming from what we had to do because of this virus and uh, a lot of fears. There are people who are naturally anxious to the point of symptomatic. Uh, we all have anxiety. Um, we've we don't, we're dead, you know, and I don't like to, I'm not big on diagnostics. And even when people call themselves, I have so much anxiety. I, I'm not big on people labeling themselves and being identified with, with symptoms. I, you know, I, I actually like to think about, you know, who the person is and why they may be feeling depressed, what, what that's all about rather than this identification with certain things. Yes, there are real mental illness, illnesses that need certain kinds of therapies, sometimes inpatient therapies, heavy duty medications, and I'm not in denial about that, but more functional people who, you know, really define themselves uh, by the symptoms, I, I try to move away from that. But Quite frankly, you know, suddenly having to deal with um, this COVID-19 and am I going to get it and wearing masks all the time and being afraid of, you know, do I have it? If you have the sniffles, you know, going for testing, being afraid of, you know, getting vaccines and 
having to ask people, changing your social life. I think that is a major change that we've all been through. And even though the WHO had has made this ruling that it's over. It's not over, I think, in people's minds. And, um, and you know, it's it's a long period of time. And um, I, I think we're going to see the effect of that on external stress that mm. came into our lives. So that's one response. I think the idea of women working um, and having professions and I think whether you have children and have to make decisions about working or being a stay-at-home mother is very stressful for people. And, you know, I work with a lot of people who go back and forth about it, uh, feel guilt about their choices, feel that the other could have been better. A lot of turmoil about what's right for them and how to negotiate, you know, being the best at whatever choice you make and, you know, negotiating that pressure from parents, pressure from spouses, the need for money, sometimes practical decisions. And I'm very interested in in that kind of thing. I I don't think there's one right answer uh, that's perfect. I think that you need to actually find the answer that's right for you. Mm. That requires something very basic, which is separation and individuation. And it starts first from your parents, becoming a separate person and what I call being launched by your parents. Your parents have to help with that. <laughs> and you have to be willing to be launched and <laughs> and grow up. And that never means that you don't love your parents. You, you're not getting support from them and being, you know, having dinners with them and holidays, but that you find a way to actually separate and start a life for yourself, whether that is with, you know, another person and having a family, but on, you know, separate terms that you're your own person. And I think when people are, have reached that level of individuation, it becomes easier to know, yes, I love to work and I get pleasure from work. And then I think it's easier to find whether you want to work full time and make sure that you have really good support for your child or children, that you've married someone or you live with someone that is also supportive of that decision, whether they stay home or whether you have can afford to have good child care or daycare, that it you put things together so that again, work, love and work, that things are in place so that your life is, you're doing what you want to do. You're contributing, not like a humanitarian to the world, but to yourself, that you're mm -hmm. stipulated, you're, you're, you're doing things that you want and you're not sitting at the park trying to play with your kid and unhappy. Mm. Um, and kids pick up on everything. So if you're not happy as a mother, as a parent, you're not going to fool anyone with that. So I think it may be, you know, finding something, recognizing that, not being in denial that I made, you made the wrong decision, being able to not live in that place, mm -hmm. you know, recognize it, 
you know, if they're young and you need to make a compromise of doing something part-time or volunteer, something that actually gives you satisfaction. And at another point, you know, go back to school, find something that really you can sink your teeth into and gives you pleasure as an individual. That's very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not for the money. It's really for you to feel when you go to sleep at night, you've been challenged. You, if you like what you're doing and you want to wake up in the morning and be a part of that. Um, and also this may sound rather daring, but that also has to do with the relationship that you're in. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer that living in a mind filled with regrets, the shoulda, woulda, couldas, that's not a good thing. That's not a healthy thing to do. Um, You can't go back in time. There's no time machines that you can go back or you can go into the future. Now is now. Mm -hmm. And you can change things if you've made a wrong decision, you didn't pursue something, or you picked a life, someone that doesn't make you happy, or you're, for whatever reason, you're not happy. That's a good reason to either go for individual therapy or, you know, couples therapy and explore it, Mm -hmm. you know, and try to work on, on, on some things that have you stuck in life, in the present. It's only the present that you can make the changes in. You can't change the past and you can't live in the future. And, you know, some of the people who have been inspiring to me have been people who were in their 70s, 80s, even 90s, who are taking courses, who are always learning and never stopping who get something out of their day or trying new things rather than living for that moment when they can Mm -hmm. ever do. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, I think you said it in so many different ways during this conversation about feeding yourself, feeding yourself and, and making yourself feel good about something that you're pursuing simply and exclusively for you. I think we all need a little bit of that. How, what do you think about the concept of self-care and its role in, in maintaining mental health? I mean, you know, so many of us, we're just generally overly stressed out, right? And so, you know, the spa days or some meditation or some yoga or whatever, whatever self-care is, is for any individual. Do you, do you think it's, a good thing? Do you think it's essential? Yeah. And I okay. think it often has a bad rap. Um, it's, you know, for the rich people who can go to expensive spas, but actually it's essential for mental health or for, mm. you know, not being, you know, for, for your own health. Um, and for being aware of, as I said in the beginning, for your mind and body to work together. You mentioned, you know, I worked with people who have issues 
eating disorders. Again, I don't like to label that because I think everyone, the first relationship in life is with food, mm-hmm. <laughs> with mm-hmm. milk. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't survive. So I, I think everyone has some issues around that. And some people are on the continuum, uh, have a disordered relationship with food. So I'll start even with that. I, I think that we have to know what we need what portion we need, whether it's food, whether it's relaxation, whether it's sleep. One of the things that came to mind when you asked uh, about things that I'm seeing now, I am more and more focused on sleep deprivation than I was in the beginning of my career. And it's almost you know, out of sync, uh, uh, then, you know, something I, you know, who am I to start asking about how many hours of sleep do you have, or you look tired. It's not something that I thought was in my, you know, uh, my area, but, um, you know, would be more their physician, but I am known to ask, do you, have you been to an internist or a sleep specialist? Because, I think more and more when people are yawning in the middle of the day or I find that they're up all night on social media um, and not sleeping, I realize how much that is affecting their mental health, their functioning, mm-hmm. uh, causing you know, depression and um, malaise and, and uh, affecting their uh, sexual life and, um, you know, everything in their life, their distraction, whether they actually have ADHD or they are just distracted because they simply are sleep deprived and it's affecting um, young children and adolescents. Um, and I think it leads to um, self-medicating because, you know, it's, intolerable to you know not be able to get through your day and people is something as simple as um just not being able to sleep and a lot of people are on sleep medication if it's actually anxiety and worry that is one of the main things that impacts sleep unless you have sleep apnea or you know a physiological reason that's causing it that's a mental health issue and you need to find out why it's impacting the hours uh, that your body actually needs to sleep. Mm -hmm. So um, that's when I'll often introduce something adjunct to talk there. It's part of talk therapy, preparing for sleep, having a ritual of, um, you know, a breathing exercise, a yoga, a cup of quieting down, just just almost having some time to be with yourself mm-hmm. and, and relax and and give that to yourself. And surprisingly, it's very hard for people to do that. I think their minds are racing because it's almost feels indulgent to do that. And so that's something that's more frequently uh you know, on my mind, just to even ask the question and then referrals for people, you know, if I feel that they really need a professional to deal with that. I think that whole concept of disconnecting and unwinding is becoming more and more impossible for us because we live in a world that is so connected. The 24 and 7 nature of social media what do we all do when we, as soon as we open our eyes in the morning, what do probably 90% of us do? We reach for our phone 
and we look at news or we look at what social postings are going on and it's just this lack of ability to disconnect um, we, we somehow have to return to that well actually i hate to use the word addiction uh and to that but actually i it I is it really <laughs> when i go to a restaurant and i see everyone at the table on the phone and it's social isolation but yeah together. Real people there yeah together <laughs> and it's sad to me it, it's almost like you know people are not talking to each other not being together and um i think some years ago the adolescents were seeing i mean they were doctoring their pictures you know to look perfect mm -hmm. to look like models to compete with you know other people and you know to be liked and loved and attractive and it's perfect and that's impossible i think people have to take vacations from their phones which is really kind of sad mm -hmm. uh, you can stay connected on an airplane i mean you know there's it never ends and i think it's um it's a real problem and uh i i think it's leading to the problem in the human experience mm -hmm. um and with jobs that people are afraid they'll lose their job if they're not doing working 24 hours mm. you know as far as burnout is concerned well if, if you feel the pressure to to hold on your job unless you produce at a level that you know is perfect and some people they had to be perfect when they were five years old they mm. were preparing to get into harvard you know at a young age and it can that would be an example of old patterns that they may be unaware of but it continues throughout their life until they can understand that you know they're the ones who have to recognize what's happening in them and they they have to take a look at that and mm -hmm. realize they're the only ones who can stop it is it still so important they they got into the best school or maybe they didn't or they have a job are they happy in that job even though everyone else thinks it's bragging material you know are they happy do they want to do that what's realistic for them if in fact it's only miserable to keep up with the standards they think are required to hold on to that job mm -hmm. and either make that the money or whatever is attached to it and assess you know what pleasure is it giving them and what pain comes mm -hmm. with that mm -hmm. so i i think um sometimes even short-term therapy to to go in and talk to someone confidentially with neutrality and explore something like that and you know have not necessarily to take action i think this is really important therapy doesn't necessarily mean at least the kind that I do, that you have to have an action plan and mm -hmm. jump into making major changes. The change would be that you can at least take a look at your life and feel things and think about things, maybe expand your thinking. Mm -hmm. And if you're ready or, you know, when you're ready, you, you may make some adjustments that bring more pleasure 
in your life and happiness or maybe not you know it's ultimately up to the person to do that rather than the authority figure telling them they have to but i think there's something powerful in the ability to at least talk about it and face it right. it's not easy though it, yeah yeah and that's that's a very good point to uh you know that that it is not an action plan this is it's a process it's a process about getting to understand yourself or learn about yourself and what triggers you what doesn't trigger you what, what the real why behind some of your behaviors may be and and how you might be able to correct it or heal it and being able to do that in a safe space where there's no judgment and confidential if if somebody feels the need for it to be confidential it's always confidential that yeah. that's yeah. a very important yeah. thing so well i can't thank you enough this has been a an exceptional conversation i really really have enjoyed enjoyed our talk today and i think you have really provided some great information for people listening today so thank you so much very much dr worth for joining me today it was fun talking with you Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, if you like today's episode, please like us, share us, tell your friends about us, post on social media. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach me at thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us today at The Healthability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends.